Emmy goes to. And the Emmy goes to. And the Emmy goes to. And the Emmy goes to. Breaking Bad. Modern Family. Feet. Homeland. Game of Thrones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the brand new segment off of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are calling this Next Best Series. This segment is going to focus on television, comedy series, drama series, miniseries, all centered around the Emmys, which will be happening this summer. And joining me for this right here, I have Mr. William Mavity. What's up, guys? I guess just you, not guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the ominous third person we haven't referred to. Well, it, it's okay because, like, Michael Schwartz, who many people uh, listening will know from the Next Best Picture film re- film reviews and Oscar uh, talk that we do all year long, he will be joining us on Next Best Series, but not tonight. And there's a reason for that. I had anticipated that we would have had our first episode out already with the three of us, and we would have been previewing the Emmys, but that is actually still to come. Instead, something dropped online today, which has brought to my attention um, an opportunity to come together to record you and I, Mr. Will Mavity. So for a little background for everyone that's listening right now, last year, Game of Thrones Season 6... Will and I, we reviewed a couple episodes together, isn't that right, Will? Back back in the day, it feels so long ago. Yeah, it's it, how I met Matt was basically through Game of Thrones, which is incredible to me. Um, once again, Game of Thrones having a huge impact on my life and bringing people together. <laughs> well, flash uh, fast forward a year, and we have season seven on the horizon now, July sixteenth of this summer. And today, the first trailer dropped online. So this entire conversation for this first episode here of Next Best Series is really going to focus around the first trailer for Game of Thrones and previewing what is to come in the seventh season this year. Uh, We will be having Game of Thrones-specific episodes, which we will be reviewing on a weekly basis when the show airs along with other episodes for Next Best Series where we will be talking about the Emmys themselves. And if proven successful, we may cover other shows in the future. So, Mr. Will Mavity, you want to watch the trailer? Hell yes. Let's watch this sucker. Enemies to the east. Enemies to the west. Enemies to the south. Enemies to the north. Whatever stands in our way, we will defeat it. We're the last Lannisters. The last ones you count. I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. And I will. Brothers are gone, yet here you stand. Last best hope against the coming storm. If we don't put aside our enmities and band together, we will die. And then it 
doesn't matter whose skeleton sits on the Iron Throne. Great War is here. Okay, man. Thoughts? Overall, just general thoughts. What do you think? If you smell something right now, it is the scent of me having just shit my pants. <laughs> Ugh. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> in, the, in the best <laughs> way possible. Um, I have to admit, my anticipation had petered out a little bit just because... The last two seasons hadn't quite lived up to my expectations. Not to say that there weren't some amazing episodes. Uh, episodes 9 and 10 of last season were some of the show's best ever episodes. Um, but, you know, I, I, my hype had kind of died down. Let's just say this trailer fixed that. For starters, it is probably the most visually stunning the show's ever looked. Um, Secondly, it just genuinely plot-wise and spectacle-wise looks so tantalizing and exciting. What did you think, Matt? Oh, man. Um, I'm kind of like you in the sense that, like, my interest had kind of, you know, gone down just a little bit. But that's just because of the, you know, the year-long gap, um, which for this year in particular was extra long because the series is not debuting in the uh, springtime it's coming out in the summer this year so the long has been incredibly long and so we were almost done by this time most years like the show was probably at like it's episode nine of this time most years i actually um this time last year hodor uh had just died Right. It, Which, oh, by the way, by the way, for anyone that's listening right now, if you're not caught up to Game of Thrones, I don't know why you're listening. Spoiler warning. <laughs> the title clearly says, previewing Game of Thrones Season 7. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know uh, how much more you need to know. <laughs> Two years ago, I think we just had the Battle of Hardhome. So Yeah, man. Oh, my God. Significant moments all around this time of year, and instead, we're just getting our first trailer. So... It's Game of Thrones. At the end of the day, I guess, it does, they know they'll get us back coming for more because we're all too invested. They didn't have to market it before this, really. No, not at all. Three million, I, I, like, millions of people clicked to watch Ice Melt a few months ago. I did. I watched that shit for an hour and a half. <laughs> As did I. I. I was riveted by every moment of it, let me tell you. Um... But this overall trailer, so my thing with this is, um, this is not the best trailer that they've ever put out, in my opinion. Um, this is not the trailer that is going to get me hyped, uh, unlike other trailers which have got me like extraordinarily hyped. I have a feeling there'll be a second trailer that'll be a little bit better than this one. This was just more of, hey, we're back. We're not going to give you details to the story. You could kind of put the dots together on that one, which is what you and I are going to do here, Will. Right. Um, but ultimately, this was more of, we're back. And here are some very fast, fast clips to show you that. And that's all you need to know. Like you said, they, they really don't need to market at this point. The audience is there. I mean, clearly, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say this is the, the most stunning of trailers, but, I mean, I, I still thought it was really good and very cinematic. I, I, I think well, my, you know what it is? We're at a point where there's not much story left to tell. They kind of are going to be hitting the ground running with these final 13 episodes spread out over the next 
two years, seven episodes in season seven, six episodes in season eight. And so I feel like the trailer really conveyed that sense of urgency and that sense of go, 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 go. You know what I'm saying? So uh, while we're talking about that, are you concerned about the shorter season length? Because we just read an interview yesterday from the actress who played Missandei, I think, saying that this season moves almost alarmingly quickly. You know, like, there's really no room for slow moments. Everything has a sense of urgency. Does that concern you at all? How do you feel about that? It concerns me a little bit. Um, In David and Dan, I trust. I will say that much. Um, I think back to last year in season six, and I think back to how... I felt that characters early on in the season were dropping like flies. Uh, we had the sands, uh, not the sand snakes. Well, the Dorn storyline really got butchered pretty quickly. Alistair Dorn and Ollie got hung in the third episode. Um, uh, uh, Ramsey Bolton's dad, Roose Bolton, was killed. You know, it's like characters just seemed to be going and going and going. And it was like they were thinning the herd because it was like, all right, we literally only have 13 episodes left after this. We really need to start focusing on the characters that really, really matter. While I appreciated the pace of season six, it like no episode to me was ever, quote unquote, boring or considered um, with the exception of one. And I think that was episode six, Blood of My Blood, uh, a peace mover episode, so to speak. Uh, I really felt like season six was quite possibly the second best season behind season four for oh, me. Oh, no. What? Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, so I feel like, you know, all the previous seasons had their mixed bag episodes. Season six had some really big highs, but I would argue season six also had some of, maybe had the worst episodes of the series. Uh, episode eight and the series in the season premiere were some of the worst stuff the show's ever done. I mean, and then... Uh, I disagree on that season premiere. Totally. What? Oh, the dialogue was so... We are not here to feed you. We are here to kill you. And, like, the forced dick jokes between uh, Varys and Tyrion. And, um, you really are a greedy bitch. Like, some of the lines were just... Oh, God. And the whole reveal of the Red Woman being, like, 800 years old just to do it. Like, oh, God, you... you. Oh. Well, you know that that's going to probably play a role this year. Uh, I hope so. I mean, we saw Melisandre in the trailer, so you know she's back. Uh, you know that that old, you know, uh, that old form of hers has to come back to some degree or another. How, I'm not really sure. I haven't really figured that part out myself yet because there's just many ways it can go. But I think that, you know, when viewed as a whole... Um, I think that the missing pieces and things of that nature um, will come to light more. In regards to characters having bad dialogue, I just really like that scene where Brienne uh, saves uh, Sansa and Theon, and she pledges her uh, allegiance to her, essentially. I thought that was a great scene. Uh, But, okay, enough about Season 6 here. I mean, we pretty much know what went down in Season 6. Battle of the Bastards, The Winds of Winter, probably the best one-two punch combo of episodes in the show's history. Would you argue that? Um, so personally, I really I really like the one-two-three of um, Mountain versus the Viper, Watchers on the Wall, and The Children. I mean, I think that's yeah. an astonishing like back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. That's like 
three of the best moments of the show ever. But season and that's four, why, yeah. uh, and that's why season four is the best season. Yeah, <laughs> it, but then like also, I mean, basically the last four episodes of season one are so good when the plot really gets moving. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, it. I was very let down by season six. The other thing going to the wow. pacing that concerns me is I feel like as we speed things up, we start having characters do things illogically. You know, why did Ram, why did Roos like obviously threaten Ramsey repeatedly and then go in for a hug when he knew Ramsey was probably plotting to kill him because we need to get him out of the way. So the plot can keep going. Why did, um, the waif become the T-1000 from Terminator 2 and Jock and Hagar's entire way of making Arya become no one make no sense because Arya had spent too long in Braavos and we needed her out of there. And, I, I, and why was the Blackfish dispatched after like seven minutes of oh, screen yeah, time? That I did not like. I, I think because they're just like, shit, we got to get characters back to where they need to be now, 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 now. And you start compromising sense in how the characters behave and you start compromising... Uh, believability in the plot and that that's my fear that we're going to get a lot of cool shocking moments but they're going to come at the expense of really any narrative groundwork and hey maybe it'll make for really thrilling tv but that is my concern i'm going to make a prediction right now for season seven and i'm going to say i don't think that this season will have as high of a body count as last year well, I mean, honestly, there aren't that many people left that they can kill off. So I, I agree. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. And I, I, but I mean, like, I think people are going to really notice this um, because I really look at the characters and I look at the amount of time that is left. And I really honestly believe that with the exception of like the season finale this year um, and whatever we have left in season eight, I don't think we're losing many major characters early in the season if that makes sense i mean disposable characters like the sand snakes um possibly alaria things like that but i don't I, you know maybe people like Littlefinger at the end of the season or cersei or whatever but like a little i don't think any of the major characters are gonna go early if that if you know what i mean uh who do you think is gonna die this season like if, if anyone does um i've got okay so here's who i have um, well, okay, I'll just hit the ones I just said. The Sand Snakes, Littlefinger, and Cersei. Uh, so I think, okay, I think Jamie. um, I think Yara Greyjoy screwed. Obviously, Euron. Um, I'm gonna say Ed, if you count him as gone. Um, I think... Oh, uh, well, Ed is a goner. We all know this, unfortunately. Either Tormund or Bronn is gonna die for com- comedic relief, I think. And For comedic I- relief? I, I think one of the comedic relief characters is gonna die. They're both kind oh, of. Oh, oh, like, oh. I think that, like, they're gonna die. No, like, no. Yeah, it's hilarious when one of the best I'm characters like, in the show dies. Oh, I won't be laughing. I'll be crying. <laughs> I no longer think Jorah's gonna die. They would have done it already if he were going to. Um, but I think either Grey Worm or Missing Day. They look like they're gonna get it on in the trailer. That just seems too happy for the show. So. For, for the record, um,. Jorah dying is something that I think they're saving for the final season, but that's just yeah. me. You, um, let's uh, let's get into the uh, dissection of this trailer for a little bit here. Um, so we start off with Cersei in the courtyard, and we have voiceover. She's talking about um, that Drake song, you know, energy, and how she's got a lot of enemies, got a lot of enemies. No? Okay. Well... <laughs> 
enemies on the west, the east, the south, the north. She's referring to everybody, pretty much. We see shots of Arya on her horse. We get this... Explain this one to me. Explain to me the uh, courtyard in King's Landing where Cersei is standing. It looks awesome. It does look awesome and because it, it, it's a whole map of Westeros. Jamie's there with her. But why the hell does she have it just sprawled out in the courtyard like that? Like, why does it have to be, like, outside? I, I, I don't understand what the idea is. Like... Cersei says to her henchmen, just give me a map and, well, well uh, my queen, we can't fit it anywhere uh, in the throne room. Uh, you know, we, we really don't want it to stand out in the throne room. Uh, okay, just put it right here outside. <laughs> like, I don't get it. I suppo- uh, suppose it's supposed to be a really heavy-handed visual metaphor. They're literally surrounded or maybe because Cersei's ambitions are so big. I, I I assume it's meant to be something symbolically, and it's visually stimulating. They've had a lot of shots of people playing with uh, small maps, which they still do. I guess this is a way to make her stand out. Practically speaking, it makes little to no sense. If it's giant, it's very hard to move the necessary pieces around to demonstrate what you're going to do. But it looks cool. Speaking of looks cool, we get this really cool shot of uh, Tyrion walking towards the edge of a cliff uh, while Cersei comments how her and Jaime are the last two Lannisters left that really matter. Um, And then Tyrion sees uh, the three dragons flying over dragonstone right like that you know talking about the cinematography here for a minute um what i did not see in terms of intricate set design um but that's also because there isn't a lot of shots primarily in this trailer to see that what i saw instead was a lot of open epic vastness um in terms of the scenery um use of the landscape there's a lot of that in this trailer, much less so um, set design. Does that make sense? Yes, but even so, some of the interior shots, like uh, Daenerys is, you know, Daenerys, it's very poetic. She was born in Dragonstone and she's returning to Dragonstone. You have some really cool stuff, like the chunk of rock she's carved her throne out of now. They've clearly redesigned the Dragonstone throne room. Did we ever see the throne room in Dragonstone? And Stannis was there? You know what? No, I think we only saw uh, Stannis' map room, which we also do get a shot of with uh, Danny and uh, Tyrion inside. I believe that was uh, a table that Aegon actually had built, if I remember correctly. Um, so I agree with you. It's a lot more out in the open. I do think what we see indoors is more spectacular. It has a potential to be more spe- spectacular than we've ever, we've ever seen. Also, they're really, really making it obvious that Tyrion is going to get himself a dragon. Like... Why don't we just go ahead and let that happen? Because they are really, like, you know, pumping up this relationship between Tyrion and dragons. I think this shot tells us all we need to know, that Tyrion's going to be dragon riding by the end of Season 8. Hey, I'm I'm all for it. Um, Daenerys, like you said, back in King's Landing, we get a really cool shot of her uh, feeling the sand uh, of the land of King's Landing, ultimately, or Westeros, rather, in general. Uh, we do get the shot of her in the throne room. Like you said, I have to admit that was a really, really, really cool set. Um, but Danny's throne rooms have always been really, really interesting. Um, we get a shot of Theon 
looking uh, at something with a dis uh, discerning face. Uh, there are fiery embers uh, moving around him. There's fire in the background of the shot. It appears to be a night shot. Um, this could be indoors or outdoors. It's a little tough to tell because the image is so dark. Um, more on that, though, in a second. Uh, we do see that Melisandre makes her way to Dragonstone. She's overlooking uh, Danny. Uh, I think it's Danny. I want to say it's Danny. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I wasn't able to enhance the image enough to see who was walking uh, that she, that Melisandre was looking at. Were you able to tell who she was looking at? I assume it was Danny and Danny's forces moving into Dragonstone would be my guess. So you think Melisandre gets there before Danny does? I do. I think what I think that's possible. I think Melisandre is going to be the kind of the negotiator between Danny and Jon Snow. Um, and honestly, everybody has evicted her. That's the closest thing that she had to home at this point because she's not welcome at the Wall. She's not welcome in the North. Uh, she probably figures she'll get killed if she goes to King's Landing. Where else is she going to go? She was at Dragonstone for years. I think it makes sense that she probably went there to be around just another thing that caused her pain, which was her mistake with Stannis. So uh, we know that Danny uh, is okay with the red, the red priestesses, I suppose, because they helped kind of spread um, her legend to the common people of Marine. Right. We know that Varys and Tyrion, though, are kind of like, mm, Red Priestess, I don't know. So... I think it'll I think it'll certainly make for some for an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, I, I think she's definitely going to be the broker between Jon Snow if he ever allies with Daenerys, which we assume he will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think she's I think she's watching Danny's forces in answer to the earlier question. God, what a cool shot. Oh, it, it's ph phenomenal. Their budget must be so high. Oh, yeah, no, you can definitely tell the cinematography has definitely got an uptick this year. It's insane. Um, Arya is seen in the uh, forest of the north, snow falling around her. She's building a fire. Do we get a Nymeria-Arya reunion? I am so hoping that happens. Um, I, in the books, they mention Nymeria's basically taken over an entire herd of wolves, right? Um, mm -hmm. I could, I, I could see, honestly, uh, if Arya is kind of taking on a sort of Lady Stoneheart role from the books, if she ends up using quite a few wolves to exact revenge, why, why is Arya in the North? I guess she just, she finishes off the phrase and decides to go try to find her family. Do we assume that's... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I would love Definitely. to see her reunite with her dogs. They're in King's Landing in the books, right? But, um... Mm -hmm. Nobody really cares about that kind of continuity. I think that's definitely possible. That'd be some great fan service. And now they have the budget, it looks like, to show direwolves. Because we know they were killing off direwolves last season because they couldn't afford to animate them. Yeah. I suspect Arya gets back to King's Landing by, like, episode three. Um, and I'm also going to make another prediction that Arya is the one who kills Littlefinger. Oh, you think? I think, I think, Sansa, I think Sansa gives him the sentencing and Arya is the one that does the deed. I will be very disappointed. I think it was nice that Sansa got to kill Ramsay. I think it would be even nicer if she got to be the one to dispatch Littlefinger. You mean like with her own hands or? <sighs> yeah, yes. Because that's, that's the problem here. Sansa's not the type to get her hands dirty. She would, she's the type that would look someone in the eyes and be like, know, know that I'm the one that's doing this to you because I'm the one with all the power to make it stop. Okay, that's fair. 
That's fair. That's I feel fair. like I feel like that is more badass. Um, and it also does not make us look at Sansa like a murderer the way Arya is. But they remember they did talk about this season. Sansa turns into quote unquote Darth Sansa this season, so they want her to. I mean, she's supposed to get real fucked up this season. We'll say almost antagonistically so. Yeah, I mean, we have that uh, voiceover from Littlefinger basically telling her, "Your brothers are dead. Your father is dead." You're the only one that's left, basically, uh, to stop the dark forces or whatever it is that he says. We know that he's going to try and drive a wedge between John and Sansa because I believe – and tell me if I'm wrong on this. The theory goes that if Littlefinger puts Sansa in control of Winterfell and then he kills her, that makes Littlefinger the one now that's in charge of Winterfell? Because he's Warden of the North, right? Um, or do you mean would he? Ma- okay, so they're not recognizing- like I'm trying to figure out like where where Littlefinger fits in this. If he like it, it, let's say he does get Sansa to get control of the North, how does that help Littlefinger? And does it involve him having to murder Sansa? And even if he does, what? Do, how? How does he assume the power then? He, would, uh, he okay. So I think I don't think he would see any good coming from killing Sansa because he needs her to have someone who's a Stark to be get the loyalty of the Northern Lords. I think he probably okay. just wants so to be a sense. puppet master because unless he marries her, he has. They don't recognize the Warden of the North title he received from people in the South. So he has, he means nothing up there other than the fact he also has an army. Um, I think, yeah, unless he were to marry Sansa, which I don't think she'd be willing to do, he needs her alive. Well, here's a definite. I definitely 100% believe that Littlefinger is going to threaten John with the reveal of his true parentage and try to steal away John's uh, legit- legitimacy as the King of the North. And, and uh, as we, this is jumping ahead in shots, but we see him say something to John that really pisses John off because you can see John strangling Littlefinger, presumably not to death, but still strangling him in a shot. So I think that's a reasonable assumption on your part. Yeah, he could be telling him, you know, uh, you know, about his true parentage and, you know, I'll tell everybody unless if you do X, Y, and Z from me, you know what I mean? Like that sort of a thing. Very exciting shot. I like seeing Littlefinger get the shit beat out of him. Very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like that, right? Um, we get some shots north. It looks like there's a uh, band of wildlings that uh, do venture out north. Um, and we definitely can tell that the White Walkers are on the way because uh, snow kind of rolls in pretty much. Uh, we see that John and Tormund are with the group. It it, it gets me to wonder um, why John is moving north other than to either A, deal with a threat or B, prove that the threat is real. I think it's the latter because, I mean, obviously he knows how dangerous that is. I think he has to assume that you know, no one believes in White Walkers in the North. I think, I don't know, maybe they're trying to bring back a white. Um, mm-hmm. That or they're bringing someone with them. But yeah, I think I think they will require proof of some sort if they're going to be willing to forget their own scuffles and be willing to go um, turn their armies towards fighting something they don't believe in. Um, or more conveniently, it is just a plot device to get the White Walkers back in the picture without bringing down the wall yet, which I do think will happen this season. I think the wall's coming down in episode seven. 
100%. I am... I am claiming that that is the final moment of the season. Oh God, yeah, it's what whatever moment do you need to signify to the audience? Because you need you need going into the eighth and final season, you need the feeling of oh my God, they're fucked. How are they gonna going to get out of this? Because yeah, I mean, they, it feels like they um, I don't know, maybe they tend to go back and forth on ending seasons on happy endings ish. And we're, we're due for a really depressing ending. I feel like everybody's going to end up fucking slaughtering Cersei. John's going to be teamed up with uh, Daenerys. Everything looks happy. And then the wall's going to come down and hundreds of thousands of the undead are just going to pour into Westeros. Uh, and, yeah. their for- and their forces are weakened now. Right. Because, I mean, like, yeah, it's going to be a very costly battle, uh, body count wise, I assume, to defeat. Cersei, but yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, I I would put money on that. In fact, speaking of uh, defeating Cersei, we get shots of the Unsullied uh, actually attacking Castlery Rock. Yeah, did, I, you, Kat, did you pick up on that? I did. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, you get those Lannister, uh, those gold Lannister logos everywhere. I am so. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that this trailer is almost entirely cut together from moments from just a couple episodes. Because um, I suspect there's probably going to be um, a big battle on the water. There's going to be, presumably, the this big battle at Casterly Rock. And then I assume there's going to be wherever the big battle we're going to talk about in a minute that takes place in a field is. Um, and oh, f- and don't forget also the uh, the White Walker scene. You know, it's probably yeah, I guess something w- whatever special occurs too. in the north. So yeah, I um I think probably the Casterly Rock battle will be the midpoint of the season. It'll probably be a defeat yeah. For that Cersei seems like an episode four or yeah, like episode four, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that's probably exactly it. I think the water battle is going to happen pretty early in the season because right I'm, now I I think the water battle is happening in the premiere. Yeah, yeah, like because right now the deck is so stacked against Cersei, it's not suspenseful. I mean, Daenerys, someone did the math. I mean, she has, like, tens of thousands of troops, plus dragons, a naval force, and potential allies in the north. It seems right now literally impossible that Cersei could have any chance of winning. They need to even the odds. Um, She needs Euron Greyjoy, and she needs Euron Greyjoy to take out with his hundred ships. She needs him to take out roughly half of Daenerys' fleet. Because right now, it's just so grotesquely unfair for Cersei that you can't possibly have any sense of suspense. Those uh, shots, by the way, of the naval battle in the trailer are so dark, by the way. It's so tough to tell what's going on. But there are, I think, about four shots in total, um, one of which is like an overhead shot. Uh, you see people running along the side of the ship. And if you turn up your brightness very high, you can see the water um, on the si- left-hand side of your screen. Um, so that's one. Very you see cool a shot, thing. and this is... This really, really awesome shot is um, what appears to be people boarding the ship, um, and it's on fire, which says to me either one of two things. Either Euron is attacking with flaming arrows and burning uh, Danny's ships, or the dragons are involved somehow. Oh, yeah. That, okay, I think probably the latter. The dragons are going to go ape shit, but maybe further damage her fleet in the process. I mean, yeah, but regardless, that is definitely involving urine attacking, and uh, Unsullied can't swim. Speaking of which, um, the second to last uh, shot of the trailer 
are two bodies falling into the water, and then you see like the fire and the flame above the uh, you know the water from the viewpoint of being underwater. Um, oh, do we think cool these shot. two bodies falling into the water are anybody in particular, or do you think they're just like you know extras and this is just a shot? You know what I mean? Um, I think somebody's gonna die. Uh, I I'm I'm scared that it's gonna be Yara. I could I could see that. Yeah, I. I, I was looking through some analyses of these trailers, and some people think that shot of her making out with Ilaria Sand is right before all hell breaks loose. And, yeah, I think that is regrettably possible. Um, alternatively, it could be somebody escaping the ship. Uh, you, know, you know, like, could, it could be Theon, could be Grey Worm or someone escaping to try to escape a massacre. Um, it seems like an important shot. It would be kind of random to include otherwise, all things considered. So, moving away from the ship battle for a moment here, uh, just to uh, the other battle that's very prominently highlighted in this uh, trailer that is going. The Dothraki to- doing parkour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that looks amazing. Dude, yeah, they're just like leaping off their horses. We haven't seen them do anything in ages, but the- oh my, that looks so damn cool. Or how about when uh, there's one shot where he's dual wielding uh, his blades oh, and cutting yeah. through Lannister troops? Oh, Oof. I am I am so high. That and uh, we're talking about this battle. We might as well mention the last shot. The money shot. The dragon yeah. is like the size of a 747, and it's just swooping over the battlefield. And you can see it's like the hun- however hundreds of thousands of Dothraki. It's insane how many. I I zoomed in. To see if like anybody in particular was in there, um, you can't tell, unfortunately. But um, I thought it was worth a try, you know, to see if anybody was like leading the charge. We so thought to speak. Battle of the Bastards looked cool. I think we're about to see what could be um, maybe one of the biggest and best battle sequences, not just in television, but in just visual history. You know, film, if Battle of the Bastards was Helm's Deep, this is the ride of the Rohirrim. Yeah. Like, I think, I think this could be just something extraordinary. My guess is that episode is going to be entirely a battle and is probably going to have, you know, uh, the budget of a feature film, you know. Prob- oh, it's episode, it's episode six. Yeah. It has to be. That would make sense. It, it, it'll, that's, it'll- um, that's Alan Taylor directing and right. he's only directing that one episode and he's now gone on to become a big action Hollywood director yeah he did thor and like yeah so yeah i think absolutely and my guess is they've bumped up the budget again this season i'm gonna guess the overall season budget is pushing like 130 million um um it's actually well no um do you know the budget the i do so what ended up happening was they got a hundred million dollars for season six for 10 episodes right right? because they said 10 million an episode uh, however they want to disperse that is up to them, generally speaking. For this season, they the, the, the original deal was they were going to have um, a longer season, I believe I believe it was, um, or another – no, it was another 10 episodes because the idea is David and Dan wanted to end the season uh, at season – a series at season seven with 70 episodes altogether. Um, and then what ended up happening was it was like, all right, listen – True Detective didn't do well. Leftovers is getting canceled. We didn't renew uh, vinyl. So 
we really need you guys to stay on the air for another year. And David and Dan are like, but we only have this much time left to tell our story. So they decided to do this whole shortened season idea of, okay, instead of 10 episodes, you'll do 13 uh, or where, whatever number you guys land at. Because for a while, we didn't know if we were going to get 15 episodes, 10. We, we had no idea. Right. Um, so, thir- so 13 it is, 7 and 6. And instead of just getting uh, what was originally supposed to be, I believe, $150 million, uh, to do a final 13 episodes, whatever the case may be, they're getting $100 million this year to do the same, uh, less episodes, seven, instead of 10 last year. And then they're going to get $100 million again to do only six. Good lord. So, oh my god. So honestly, they could probably be kicking over like $30 million for the final, for the battle episode, right? Like it, it literally could be uh, a, f- a freaking feature length film for one episode. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, they, they knocked a, Battle of the Bastards was like fifteen million, right? So yep. I, I cannot fathom what. Oh my god, that is that is going to be so. And you can tell. I mean, like the cinematography is off the chain. It looks like a feature film, and it's it's mm-hmm. always been aesthetically pleasing. Show every shot is. Um, Pants shittingly good. I guess we're on a pants shitting theme tonight. Yeah. Um, so we have this really, really awesome battle scene that looks to be Cersei versus Danny, their forces on the field, um, outside of the gates of King's Landing, I presume. Yeah. Now, do we think, because this is my theory, my theory goes that Cersei is going to uh, weaken the crown's budget. She's going to she's going to use every single uh, last bit of money to get you know uh, uh, the golden company to f- uh, fuel her army. Uh, so she'll have no money. Uh, Castle Rock has been taken. High Garden will be will be obviously taken. Uh, I'm trying to think of whatever scenarios. So. Clearly, they're surrounded, and Danny's got three dragons, obviously, and it's going to be one of those things where I think Cersei is going to be done. The city's going to be burning. Cersei, um, sorry, uh, Danny will have proposed to Cersei, hey, peaceful resolution. Cersei's like, nah, 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 bitch, fuck that. I, I ain't giving you that. You know, I'm doing this to the end. I think that's when Jamie finally has it with Cersei because she probably wants to burn down the city like the mad king this is the mad king all over again exactly and my theory then goes one of two ways either Jamie just straight up abandons her and leaves her or Jamie kills her and Jamie goes and dies along with her as the city engulfs them in flames. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. I I cannot imagine. It's too poetic for him not to ha- like stab her. His- Born into this world together, yeah. go out of this world together. Yeah, I I don't see him wanting to live after he does that anyway. And yeah. it would be kind of a merciful end for that character. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. Um, do we think Euron is going to have the horn from the books? Is he going to take out a dragon or two? So I've been trying to like trying to reason with myself and try to figure out this naval battle that's going to take place. Um, how does Euron have an advantage when Danny's got three dragons? It just seems like it's suicidal for Euron to attack her uh, naval fleet, unless if it's a surprise attack after she has landed. 
I th- that is you're right because you would see a hundred ships on the horizon and be fa- yeah I think that's possible but it's if, if it's after she's landed then it would be much easier even if the Dothraki can't swim for them to still get to safety so I, maybe there's fog maybe he plays off the fog I don't know but for, <laughs> just even hearing you say that it just sounds like so silly <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, but which is why, you know, to your question about the horn, I feel that that is something that's very easily set up. Like, you just need one scene of explanation. Like, Euron, exp- like, like, you just need, like, one of Euron's men coming to him and being like, Sir, uh, their forces are too many. They have dragons, don't they? And Euron just, like, opens up a chest and is all like, well, I have this thing you see here, you know what I mean? And it's like, all right, boom, we've established that he's got this uh, weapon that he intends to use. And, you know, he could possibly potentially, I I don't know, paralyze the dragon. I don't know where David and Dan would want to take it, you know what I mean? But He could bring a dragon over to Cersei's side. Because I assume he's going to ally himself with Cersei, and that could even the odds if he gets them a dragon. I also think that will cause uh, a, uh, quite a bit of uh, friction between Jamie and Cersei if uh, Euron is basically saying, hey, I want to marry you. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think that is almost guaranteed to happen. We're going to have some... Uh, I don't think they'll get along, but he's definitely... Because she needs allies, and he is clearly being set up to be the ally. Then if that's the case, I'm going to uh, claim, and I'm going to say that the naval battle does not happen in the first episode. It maybe happens in the second, because in the first episode, you need to show Euron establishing himself as an ally to Cersei. Um, and you need to see Danny landing. So I think that this naval battle um, takes place while the ships are docked. Because I, I, I don't know, I, I'm not sure if Dragonstone is able to house uh, all of Danny's army. Mm. You know, so probably a lot of them are staying on the boats. And so maybe she tries to attack King's Landing immediately, gets her ass kicked, and then goes back there to kind of regroup. Now that she has and this is people. and well, no, this is probably like Cersei's way of trying to weaken her enemy before she attacks uh, Cersei with full strength. Mm-hmm. It, it's not meant to be a defeat. It's meant to be like we're gonna we're gonna try and slow her down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could see that. That I could see. Now, I I will say, even if it's illogical for them to not notice a thousand ships in the horizon, let's let's not forget that in the past we had Stannis just get on a flat field, get blindsided by hundred by thousands of northern soldiers attacking. So it may be one of those things it where it does also it could happen on the high seas. Um, it could happen for surprise because I feel like Danny and David and Dan will want to have this moment be shocking. You know, like it might make more sense to lay the groundwork, but the way the show's gone the last two seasons, they love those shock moments. And it would be shocking if like we've seen her sailing in triumphantly out of nowhere, just holy fuck cannons start going off. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see that being a storytelling device they execute. So we may be overthinking how they're going to do it, all things considered. Yeah, two last things here. Um, the mountain and his new attire. What do you think? <laughs> he looks like Darth Vader. Yeah, or the Shredder. Yeah, or he's Shredder. He is Shredder. You're right. Um, I, I don't. I don't know why. Other than, but it it looks cool. I'm still not entirely giving up hope for some sort of Clegane ball. 
Um, mm. If if uh, Sandor is gonna somehow, I mean, Sandor's gonna factor in. We saw a picture of him in that. Look at the cast members' costumes. Did it look like he was wearing a Night's Watch uniform this season? You know what? Mm, I'm gonna say no because I think that they're not they're not going to the wall. They might stop at the wall maybe for like. You know, just to regroup a little bit and so on and so forth. But I mean, they're going north, baby. They're they're going they're going north to deal with the threat beyond the wall. Ultimately, so I don't think he becomes a member of the Night's Watch if that's what you're implying. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I'll be interested to see why he's going north, and I hope his fate does take him to face the mountain before this season is over um are we gonna mention the gray worm thing uh we are but after i mention this one uh other thing did you notice jorah's hand in the trailer oh yeah no he looks it looks if that is him that looks super ratchet um i i just they they've drugged this whole thing out and the go find a cure subplot it has to be going somewhere and I wonder if somehow the Kira to Grayscale is going to tie into to killing the White Walkers. Is he going to end up going to Old Town and encounter Sam and have a role to play there? Like, they're really playing this up for a reason. I assume it has to be going somewhere important. Well, I think it's uh, two things. One is I think it's um, just a way for another way for us to see how much Jorah is gonna sacrifice and put on a line to get back to Danny. That's one. Two, something tells me that inadvertently while trying to find a cure for Jorah, Sam's going to discover something that's going to lead to them being able to defeat the White Walkers. So you think he is gonna go to Old Town? I think so, because if I'm Jorah... I want to go to the place where the most intellectual people are in all of Westeros, Essos, and I want them to be able to, you know, try to figure out a way how to heal me. Um, I, I definitely think Jorah goes there. I definitely think he meets Sam. Um, it's a great opportunity for two characters to interact. And I think what we see here in this trailer with this hand coming uh, from through this um, hole in the wall, uh, I think Jorah is going to become like, quote unquote, like quarantined. Yeah, I think he is going to die. I don't f- know if he's going to die from grayscale. He has to see Danny before he dies. Absolutely. His, it, he, so I don't, th- I don't, I mean, listen, I think he cures the grayscale this year. I think he makes his way back to her. I don't think he reunites with her this year. I think that's something you save for the final season. Oh, yeah, yeah. J- just to make it extra heartbreaking, he finally gets there and then just taken out. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, yes, exactly Right in that. front of her, maybe. Um, maybe yes. they'll be yes. really mean, give it, give uh, him some hope that he's going to have a chance with her and then just... He's he's literally um, Batman in The Dark Knight Rises, where it, it's like people are just telling Jorah, you know, you have nothing left to give to this woman anymore, and he's all like, not everything. Not yet. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I enjoy that character a lot. Um, I, I'm going to be real sad when he dies. I hope he goes out in a really cool, noble fashion. I just really hope that he like puts his hand on her cheek. He's got a tear coming down his eye, and he just says it one more time. He just says, Khaleesi. And then he, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's a goner. Grey Worm? Grey Worm? Grey Worm looks like he's about to have sex with Missandei. Okay, you need to explain to me your perception here of the Unsullied. All right, because I was always under the impression... I believe they don't have any genitalia. I don't think he has... I think both 
the twig and the berries are gone from what I've... Or the pillar and the stones, as they say in the show. Right. So you think they're, you think they're all gone? I believe that was the implication they gave, yes. I, I think so, too. And what I think we're going to get is I think we're going to get a little uh, little oral pleasure from Missende, but not, you know, we're not going to get a sex, like, you know. I mean, he's got nothing there. Yeah, he can't do nothing, you but know. It, it'll be nice to see them get intimate in some fashion, you know. like Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, to me, I almost feel like that that is... That's going to be one of those scenes where the director, whoever directs that scene, they have a really, really fine line to cross in terms of that coming off as awkward comedy that feels forced. Yeah. And tender and intimate, like you said. Yeah, it'll it'll be a tough one to pull off. We have seen before, uh, if you look back at season four, if sex scenes in the oh, show boy. are not executed just right, uh, it can get really, really bad. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that'll I, I will be interested to see how that goes. But good for them. I've been rooting for them, and I hope they don't one or both doesn't get killed. Also, really rooting for Tormund and Brienne this season. I want that to happen. So now before. that it looks like Jamie and Brienne is not going to be a thing. Yes, I I really do believe that Tormund and Brienne is happening. I think one of them's gonna die. I think they're gonna get to get together, and then one of them's gonna get killed because that's just too awesome of a couple for them to. Let them live their days happily ever after. Yeah, I think Tormund is... I think Tormund goes either this year or once again next year. Because I keep... This is why this is what I keep saying. I feel like there has to be casualties in the Great War against the White Walkers. And that's all next year. Yeah. Unless... What's going to really piss me off... This, this is what's really going to anger me uh, with Season 7. If season seven does not resolve the Cersei storyline oh, and so she mad. is still left over for the final season. Yeah, then it will feel rushed. I mean, it should be a transition point. That season should be the moment they've all gotten together and decided to fight the big threat. Yeah, I agree. If that is not resolved, it will. It will. Oh, God, I will be so mad. Um, Gendry. Gendry is coming back. I, I've heard. Um, what do you think he's going to do this season? I think he's going to join up with uh, John. Uh, for what purpose? Um. Hmm. Or are they gonna do what they did? Oh wait, wait! I just got it. I just got it. New steward. Uh, interesting. Well, not like not like steward. Like change my sheets, but like like a second in command. Uh, like what Podrick was. Some yeah, like someone someone that can like um, you know, be like John's, like I don't want to say hands of the king because that's not what I'm referring to. I'm just talking like. Somebody that's like you know like is he gonna be uh, Tyrion's Podrick? No, 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 not like that. Not like that. I'm just saying like um like another one of the group, like like another Tormund, you know, like it's the uh, squad goals, you know, sort of thing. They're bringing him back to kill him. I'm telling you, like they need more casualties for the battles. They're literally bringing him back just so they can be like, oh, look at this likable character from early in the show. Let's kill them. I guarantee because they so need just more like uh, the Blackfish and Osha is what you're telling. Me. That's exactly what it's gonna be. You know, they they need they've killed so many people. They need likable people to get rid of. And where else is he going? He's coming back to die, and it's gonna be so annoying. Any other final thoughts on this trailer? I don't think so. I'm hyped. I'm pretty hyped as well. I can't wait to see these uh, many battle scenes here. I can't wait to see the cinematography on full display. I cannot wait to hear Raman Jawadi's score. 
Oh my god. I thought he did the best work of the series last season. Like Agreed. The 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 music for episode ten was astounding. I was that was all I listened to in the car for like three weeks. Um yeah, I think it, I think it's gonna be great. I'm a I'm a little concerned that the dialogue is gonna continue to be lower quality than it once was on the show. And well, that, the actors have said that these are the best scripts they've ever received. Uh, but they also said that about five and six. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, I think that when it comes to five, if you took care of the Dorna storyline a little bit better, I think season five is a good season if you, you know, fix that. Stannis? Everything Stannis? Uh, okay. That All right. Well, Stannis, here's the thing. There, d- did you read that uh, bit of news about that one piece of dialogue they left out in the stannis Brienne scene? I was so... Yeah, he basically apologizes for uh, having killed... Um, uh, what's his, his brother? Renly. Renly, yeah. his brother. That would have done so much more for Stannis if they just hadn't cut that out. That's and that's what I'm saying. Like you can see the pieces that could be added to make that season better and fix the gripes that we had with it. Season six, I mean, listen, you have more gripes with it than I do. I think season six, I still maintain it's the second best season behind season four, um, when taken as a whole. Um because like you said, the highs were really, really high in season six. I mean, those some of those moments were just like, wow. Um, the music also had a large part to do with that. The, uh, you know, the, the production quality, it just keeps getting better and better. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, I think if you ask different people, different everyone will tell you that one of the seasons is their favorite, except for, I think, two and five. I think two and five are considered probably the worst seasons universally by most people, so... Um, this season, more so than any other, uh, is the one that I am the most nervous about. I've not been, uh, this nervous about a Game of Thrones season, I think, probably since season five going in, uh, because I knew they had to adapt both A Feast for Crow- a, F- a Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons in that one season. Uh, this season, I'm nervous because of the seven episodes, because of the, pro- the potential for the storylines to feel rushed, um... But then again, you know, like I said, think of the context of they have less characters because they really thinned the herd last year. Um, we know we know where the end point is. Like literally when this season starts, it's literally going to be us counting down episodes. It's 13 episodes, Will. 13. That's it. That is so And then they're done. Oh, I'm going to be so sad. Until we get five spinoff shows. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. We've uh, we've really, really done a really good job of talking this one to death here. Uh, there's a lot more to definitely talk about here on Next Best Series. I mean, we're going to have lots of talk about the Emmys to come. And also, too, when the season for Game of Thrones Season 7 really starts to um, start up, we will be back, you and I. Uh, we'll be reviewing every episode, hopefully, uh, for Season 7. So, hey, look at it this way. It's only seven weeks and not ten, right? Oh, I'm so sad. I like 10 weeks of the show. I wish we had 15. (laughs) All right, man. Uh, Tell us where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this first episode of Next Best Series, where we preview Season 7 of Game of Thrones, where we also talked about the trailer for Season 7 of Game of Thrones. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM under the Next Best Picture podcast. 
Thank you everyone so much for listening and we will see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.